0: Everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, the Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. And with us is our normal panel of experts and great writers. That would be Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, and Alan Steinberg. And gentlemen, it's been uh it's been kind of fun since we last got together. We have problems with the Clinton Foundation. We have 72 hours of ideas, pushbacks, and kind of speeches that they're going to have, but now not, on immigration from Trump, where he was supposedly changing and maybe softening his position, and any number of fun things going on. So uh, is there a topic du jour that you would like to begin with?
1: Oh come on, Tom! You know you want to jump in on the foundation. Go,
2: release <laughs> the hounds, Tom! Oh come
1: on! To, 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 quote, to quote, Hillary. Oh, that's old
2: news. The, the 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 foundation It happened last week. That's old news. Why why would we want to talk about the foundation? It was it was you know so so last week. Well, yes, we ought to talk about the foundation. For God's sakes, uh, I. It, you. It, it's astonishing to me that they're saying now if hillary wins the presidency they're going to stop accepting foreign donations to the foundation you know if that's your ethical stance it ought to have been the ethical stance that you had when she was the when she was the the secretary of state you can't there're ethical problems with both of them and yet they went blissfully on and accepted all kinds of millions from nefarious characters and bad actors and and, and oppressive regimes for that four that full four years that that Hillary was the Secretary of State. But now we're going to make a change. I, I I I think they should just go on as they always did and just keep doing nefarious stuff. Geez, why don't you tell
1: us what you really think, Tom?
2: <laughs>
1: Alan, oh, any comments me. on I mean, the so,
2: foundation? So pay for play. I I excuse me.
3: Uh, I agree. With Tom as to the optics of it all, it was very bad judgment uh, the way that the uh, Clinton set this up. And yes, there was access given uh, for uh, donors to the foundation. However, there has been no showing—I'm talking about political impact now. There has been no showing after nearly 30,000 emails that anybody was done any special favors by Hillary Clinton, other than meetings. Uh, in exchange for donations to the foundation. And unless they find such a favor, I don't think that there will be any substantial negative political impact. It would have to be something like somebody who gave to the foundation, got a contract from the State Department, uh, which they do have, and there's been no showing of that thus far.
0: You know, the one thing that I think should have been done, and it should have been done when she began running for president, was that the Clinton Foundation be turned over to uh, whether it was Bill and um, Melissa Gates or or some other foundation to help run it in the uh, time that they ran for president. And then, of course, if, you know, if former Secretary Clinton were to win, then, of course, they wouldn't take the uh, foundation back over until, you know, they left the White House. I think that would have been the cleanest and probably the most Politically astute thing to do uh, to keep yourself, you know, clean and transparent throughout. Um, Obviously, no one took my message on that, but it was uh, something I think from as Alan said and Tom said, basically from an optics point of view, it it just didn't look right, and and I think that's something should have done, and I'd like to see them do it now, but I I don't think anything's going to happen at least until after November. well i think
3: there may be there may be i gotta tell you someone may have taken your suggestion jim because i was watching the other night i was watching lawrence o'donnell that's uh, usually the last show i watch before i fall asleep and he well he has the last a, word yeah. Uh, yeah he's the last word <laughs> he made a suggestion that the uh Clinton should have his board of directors uh David and Julie Eisenhower, two excellent people, and another excellent uh, individual, Caroline Kennedy, and he threw that out there. But I think uh, my suspicion is that that was a trial balloon planted by the Clintons themselves with Lawrence O'Donnell. It's just that they should be doing it now and not later.
0: Mm-hmm. Good point. Here, Joe, any, the, any comments on? Yeah. On the, here's
1: the question that that bugs me about the whole foundation stuff is you know yeah they haven't found the quote smoking gun yet in the in the emails and and all of that stuff and maybe there isn't one there but how long has hillary clinton known she was going to run for president you know like what 30 years or so and you know that this is your window this is it you either win it now or you're never you're never going to sit in the oval office so why put yourself even in the position to have this come up? Because she knows that her the people who do not like her are going to be combing through every inch of material that, that she has looking for something. What an obvious target with the Clinton Foundation. It's right there with a big neon sign saying, check me out. And it doesn't matter so much whether they find something wrong. It's just the continued insinuation that it looks bad. The, you know, I'll jump in um, with the group on this, on uh, the optics. That's the word of the day. So why wasn't she smarter? You know, why didn't she tell Bill or or whoever needed to know that, yeah, I better keep an arm's length from this thing or, or two arms and, and half a leg's length away? Uh, because this is going to come back to bite me in the campaign. And. Well, uh, dinner
3: is served. Well, you know, well Joe... I think they did something even more foolish than that. Uh, when they picked, when they blamed Colin Powell, that was idiotic. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Colin Powell, but nobody disputes his honesty. I, that was
0: foolish of them. You mean about the about the server?
3: Yes, they claimed that Colin Powell told them that, and Colin Powell. Uh, look, I learned from the Bush administration. He, he when it comes to honesty, Colin Powell is the coin of the realm. Uh, and he said, no, he never told him that he made some suggestion after she had already been doing this for a year that uh, she should uh, perhaps internally be using something like a uh, public server like Gmail or AOL, something like that. And it would facilitate communication But she never that he never suggested that from the outset. And so I think the Clintons made a foolish mistake on that.
0: I don't think there's any question. You're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams. Washington Bureau Chief of New Stock Florida, Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson with us. we've just been chatting a little bit about the uh Clinton Foundation, which uh, of course there were a number of new emails unearthed, and then there's the emails that were sent to uh to the capitol where they'll be looked at and uh it seems you know fascinates me guys, thirty thousand emails. I can't even fathom 30,000 emails and I get a lot of email. Uh but 30,000 seems to me to be a phenomenal amount of emails. Just just a, a total non sequitur, but I, I just I just can't fathom that that's that's a lot of email. Who are I, you? I, even I think there's 30, there's, a, there's a lot
2: of there's a lot of traffic in and out of the out of the state department and I think that the secretary of state probably is going to be receiving and sending an awful lot of information, but there's there was a so that that doesn't strike me as as particularly amazing. Um, what? There, but there's a uh, there is a question that, that that was raised that was that was not answered, and that is why would Hillary Clinton have done this? And I would suggest that it is that operating in the gray is where the Clintons always have 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 operated. And if you can if if you can get away with making a, a one shot hundred thousand dollar killing. On cattle futures and not get your comeuppance on that uh, 30 years ago then it it sort of tells you that there that that these are people who have an idea that they can skate and and they and they and they're expert lawyers I will give them that and they know how to uh, how to make this stuff work on their behalf and get away with stuff that, that other people wouldn't I mean there's a there's a there's a Navy man Going to prison for a year because he took pictures in his submarine, uh, didn't intend to share them with anybody. His not his intent was not to do anything nefarious with him. I'm using nefarious a lot today. It seems to be my my word of the day. And yet he's going off to jail. He's going off to the federal pen for a year, and somebody who was just as as sloppy with with uh, with federal uh, with, with, with sensitive records. Uh, showed no intent to share i'll bet you Julian Assange has read every last one of them and and she's going to get to run for stand for presidency I, I just it's the way they do things it's the way they have always done things, and they to their credit have gotten away with it so that's that 's the answer to the question that's 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 how they roll
1: I think you hit the the nail on the head with this because these things that seem to matter greatly. To folks like us, and to yeah anybody actively involved in politics, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking that most people are from the uh, Bernie Sanders school right now. Is they're tired of hearing about it, and it, it's not sticking. And unless there really is that that one email in there that that becomes you know kind of the opens the Watergate floodgates, if you will. Uh, of this of this thing, I don't think it's going to resonate because I don't think people care. They're looking at it and going, yeah, okay, she's sloppy. She's not exactly trustworthy, but look who she's running against. I'm going to vote for her.
3: I agree with uh, Joe it, I, I, in terms of political impact. I'll tell you one other thing. The Clintons do live on the edge, and I think something – I don't like to play amateur psychologist, but I think there's another factor involved with them. They now are in New York. And New York is like a giant candy store of things you can buy and lifestyles you can emulate. And the Clintons always were after money, but I think much more so since they came to New York. I I know, for example, Jim, you and I grew up in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a great place, but uh, the difference in the lifestyles of the wealthy and those of us middle class, it was a difference, but not as pronounced as the lifestyles of the rich and famous who live in New York. And I think that uh, when the Clintons came to New York, they said, "Hey, we got to get this lifestyle," and that's been a problem.
0: You know, Alan, to your point, even Trump and, and a lot of people don't realize this. You know, his father Fred was a builder in Queens, and uh, he basically told, you know, Donald that at a relatively young age that, you know, we just don't go over, meaning to Manhattan. Which you know, we're not we're not talking a distance here. We're talking a, a relatively what. Four or five miles tops, and uh, not Fred was and, right. And Fred basically said, what, you're, "You're never going to be accepted." And uh, and I think if you look at the difference between Mike Bloomberg and Donald Trump, who are basically in the same age, it's uh, it is it, it there's the the fact that Donald Trump, as rich as he and successful as he got in New York, never really was accepted by the quote unquote New York upper. Upper class.
3: You're right, hundred
1: percent. And it's well, I mean, not going to be accepted by the voters either, but that's another story.
3: Right. <laughs> we agree. <laughs> in that regard,
0: but anyway, I just I thought it was fascinating that that uh, in some regards the way that he uh, the way that the Mr. Trump uh, portrays himself. He does sound and act a lot more like a guy from Queens than he does like a guy from the Upper East Side of Manhattan.
3: Very true,
0: very so. true. And I think that's, you know,
3: I think there was a little bit of class war. You know, you've you really hit it on head Jim, but I think it goes a step further. I think that he, when he was debating Jeb Bush in the uh, primary debates, I always felt there was a real edge there. And I think in Donald Trump's own mind that there was a class war, that the Bushes were a sta- part of America's establishment. And that's a place where in spite of uh, all the success of the Trump family, they never were, and it's not right, but they never were quite accepted uh, into that elite.
0: In some regards, Alan, and you can speak to this, Ooh. and the rest of you guys can as well. And we just... All right, uh, I made it. Chris Fisher has joined us, and... Uh, here on the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Alan Steinberg, I- Tom Jackson, and uh Joe Henderson with us. And Chris, welcome. We were just in the midst of chatting about uh something interesting in that uh we were saying that Donald Trump, as rich as he has been and as successful as he's been in in uh in New York in uh in various different situations, of course, building being the number one that he just never fit in with the elite billionaires and millionaires in his own, um, in his own city because he grew up in Queens and didn't up on the Upper East Side of New York.
4: I think that's one of the things that's appealing uh, about him. Scary about him, too, but also appealing.
0: I don't think there's any course. question about that, guys. I'll tell you what. Um, let's step aside for a minute, take a break, and then we will come back on the politically incorrect podcast i'm your host jim williams the washington bureau chief of news talk florida along with alan steinberg joe henderson tom jackson and from your morning show on our flagship station am 820 in the tampa bay area chris fisher we'll be right back after these words welcome back to the politically incorrect podcast i'm jim williams the host of the show. I'm also the Washington Bureau Chief of Newstalk Florida. Our guests, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, Alan Steinberg, and Chris Fisher, the host of Your Wake Up Call, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. You better listen to it every morning on a.m. 820 in the Tampa Bay area. If you can't hear it there, it's on the TuneIn app. I listen to it every day. Great stuff. And you know, Chris, You can help us out. Yes, sir. You are a man of the people, okay? You listen to people all day long, and they talk to you about stuff. What are some of the key points and issues that you're facing now that they're talking to you about? It doesn't necessarily even have to be about the the two political candidates, but the issues of the day that they want to hear the candidates address.
4: Well, it's always hard to gauge that because what you get on the phones are the most passionate. True. You get the most passionate, the most angry, the most excited.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, I tell you what, all their ire is pointed at the media right now. I would say 80% of the calls because uh, Trump supporters are so frustrated. Um, they don't believe that they're being represented fairly or properly in the polls. Uh, they don't believe that their candidates being represented properly, and and that's all they're focused on is. Um, it's not even Hillary. It's not even you know the phone calls. Out of those angry ones I'm talking about, maybe uh, 10 to 20 percent are talking about the negatives of Hillary, but most are. You can just there you can hear it. It's it's almost like how is it you don't understand that Tom, Donald Trump is going to save this country, and and the anger and the passion that comes along with that.
0: You know, it's funny, Chris, that in many regards it was the mainstream media because you know, Donald Trump could call in on Morning Joe on MSNBC and then 20 minutes later be on Fox with Fox and Friends and then the following day he'd be on CBS and the following day he'd be on ABC Good Morning America. There wasn't really a mainstream Show that he didn't hit during all of the um, during all of the run up to winning the, um, the nomination, and now uh, he seems to feel, or at least the the audience seems to feel that 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 the, that the um, mainstream media is against him for some reason.
4: I think it's a, a live by the sword, die by the sword. He's brilliant mm-hmm. at working the media. Um he had a he has that mentality or had that mentality of there's no such thing as bad press, but there is. <laughs> there is when you're running for president. And, well and, and um, that's I,
1: that's that's the point is, is he's not running for school board or mayor or something. He wants to lead the most powerful nation in the world. And I'm sorry you can't go around saying and doing the things he does repeatedly. Uh, Purposely, Uh, you're supposed to unite the people. He's dividing. You're supposed to build bridges. He is building walls. You can't do that in a nation this diverse, and expect that you're not going to get some some pretty stern pushback. And you know, I don't know if his followers weren't prepared for that, or if Trump himself wasn't prepared for that. But it's it's like Sorry, dudes. You're you can't get away with what you're proposing. People won't will not let you do it. It's pure and simple.
3: I agree, well, Joe. That, and that I presupp- take it. That,
2: uh... Go ahead, Tom. That
1: presupposes.
2: Okay, that that presupposes that their theory of of the contest is wrong. And for this, I I I read I, I read uh, in a like two nights uh and Coulter's book uh, about emigration Adios America um and i i think that everything that Donald Trump thinks about the race uh, early on at least sprung from that book and that is that the united states is and and i'm not supporting Alter, uh, Coulter's position here i think she makes some some marvelous points but the whole thrust of the of the of the book i can't stand behind however her she makes the point that uh, the the United States was is a Western European country that is being taken away piece by piece by immigrants from the browner countries that uh, have an idea of the way they want to live and it is not and it does not follow the the liberal uh, classic liberal tradition that the United States was was built upon um, and Coulter's. Coulter's book suggests, and I think that, that Trump embraces, and so do his followers, that there is a great, silent, white voting block that has thrown up its hands over the past 30, 40 years, dating back to Ronald Reagan, um, who just won't come out because they have not seen somebody who was speaking to their specific concerns and 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 i think that even now they think that those people are immune to being polled and that they've got this this great white wave that is going to emerge in in late october when early voting begins and on november the 8th to push them over the top and that's why that's why their whole push has been up until recently i i will be fascinated to see what the new immigration policy out of the trump campaign is but that's why their push all along has been to aroused the 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 uh the latent white vote but they have been
3: self-deluding that's the problem they have well yes. taken into account that the electorate uh well your analysis is correct but the primary electorate is so different from the general election electorate the republican primary electorate has very few hispanics it has very few african americans uh my ethnic group the jewish ethnic group it has very few jews in it i'm uh unique uh, being a Jewish Republican. And when you get to that greater electorate, the Trump message doesn't resonate. He will have his entire base come out in the uh, general election. But unless the Clintons are implicated in some sort of criminal behavior story, he's going to lose. And he's been defined, as I wrote this week, by the Clinton commercials, which have been very effective, But I think the future of the alt-right, which is really what Donald Trump is all about, is going to be in the Trump TV network. And the man behind the scenes, a person I, I despise very much, but he's very effective, is going to be Steve Bannon. He's going to be running the alt-right empire after this election.
0: Well, let me think. let's go and- back to the Fisher's point about the media, okay? Where do we fit in this? I mean, we write on about this stuff every day, and we talk about it, and we work with it. Have we been fair to Mr. Trump and, un, and fair to Miss Clinton? What What have we been? Have we Have we changed anything? Where have we been here on this?
3: I haven't been fair. I admit it because I am very opposed to what Donald Trump is about. But I think the re, the reporting media has been fair to him. And he benefited from them so much. Look, he used to call Morning Joe every morning. No other uh, candidate did that. And they gave him all this great uh, exposure. Joe Scarborough said continuously, he said he's going to have to change his position on Muslim immigration. And so Donald never did. So Joe indicated his opposition. And all of a sudden, Donald Trump is spending his mornings uh, putting out vicious uh, tweets on Twitter against uh, Joe and Mika. And all that's doing is getting them higher ratings.
0: Yeah. There's, you know, the other part is, and I think a lot of people forget this, is that the, that the Clinton email scandal and, and a number of very tough pieces against Secretary Clinton came out of the Washington Post and the New York Times, the two newspapers that Mr. Trump has been railing about. Exactly.
1: And that's the whole thing about the, the anger about the press. The people who often complain the loudest about the media are the first ones to say, "Hey, did you see this article in the New York Times uh, about Hillary? You know, it makes her look terrible." So it, it's kind of—I don't—I don't think it's—it's it's any different now than it was during the Watergate days. I really don't. Except there's just more media, but people a lot of people hated the media back then too and they said they were being unfair to Richard Nixon and they were using un, unnamed sources and and you know why why won't uh, why won't they reveal who's giving them this information and all that and Spiro Agnew with his great you know uh, diatribes against the media so you know in the media we're a little sensitive to that criticism but I don't really think it's that much different than it's ever been I really don't
0: you know well and that's, uh,
2: and that's what they and that's what Trump supporters would say is the problem is that it doesn't change cycle to cycle year after year, that whatever the guy on the right says is going to be wrong, and whatever the person on the left says is going to be right, and that that's a, a perfect example of that recently was Donald Trump's kind of clunky attempt to reach out to the black community he could have he could have phrased it better but the fact is that the things that he's saying that are going on in the black community with violence and and home and people who don't own their own places and uh and, and um discrimination and unemployment that is all absolutely true but he can't get away with saying that as a way to reach out to to black voters like you might want to try doing something different this time around Without getting bashed by the left and saying how dare he say that about black communities, well, it's exactly the same thing as as people running from the Democratic Party say all the time. But they just say it more sympathetically. They say you guys are in bad shape. You're you're there's violence in your communities, and you don't own your own homes, and and the unemployment is is inexcusable. Elect me, I'm going to fix that. And you believe it from the yeah, Democrat who's going to redistribute. And you don't believe it from a uh, from a from a Republican who got, I, I, I wish I, I wish that it were Jack Kemp. Uh, we'd be the the nation would be far far farther along, much further along in race relations if Republicans had embraced the Jack Kemp model and tried to reach out. Um,
4: and and so it's just a source of frustration for me.
0: Chris, you were going to say something.
4: Well, then you got to do that in front of a black audience.
2: Well, on t- say it, if, you go on,
4: <laughs> if you go
0: on TV,
2: you're speaking to a black audience. No, um, you're if, not. If Tom, Democrats it, say that yeah. they're it always it sitting matter, in front of it a It doesn't matter where you are.
1: It doesn't right, matter where anybody
2: it, is anymore. Anytime that you've got a camera in front of you, you're talking to black audiences. You're talking to all audiences.
0: Right, but That's Tom, what, I mean, I, I come on. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. Just for a minute. Just for a minute here. As we're listening to the politically incorrect podcast my question to tom is and they get this all the time if if republicans want to win in black districts in latino districts then they damn well better go there it's you know it's one thing for mr trump to to reach out and reach out let's say I'll stipulate to the fact that he may have bumbled through it and and may honestly want to help, but why would he not show up in a St. Louis or a Baltimore or a, you know, some part of the country, Detroit, he was in Detroit three times in the past, you know, six or seven um, weeks, why would you not, if you're going to, if you're going to do this, do it right. Go to Harlem, which is seventy-five blocks up from where he lives.
3: What, I you know, Jim, that's what Tom—that's what Tom Kane did in New Jersey uh, when he was governor, and he got over fifty percent of the African American vote because he went out to Newark, he went out to Patterson, he went to Trenton, and uh, communities where African Americans lived, and they felt that he cared.
1: Well, here, here's another point, to my friend Tom, um, I have to disagree with you on your stance that it doesn't matter where you do it because look at one area where Republicans were just, just eviscerated during their convention was the lack of faces of color of Hispanics and so on. Those were all over the democratic convention. They were prominently featured. You know, they made sure people saw got that message that we are inclusive. The Dem or the Republicans. Their optics, since that's our word of the day, <laughs> shouted, no, you're not welcome here. Now, that may not be what they think. I'm going to say that, that it probably is, but that's the message that goes out, that when all you see are white people, you're going to have a problem, and they do.
2: Oh, I don't disagree. Again, I go back to their theory. The the, the Trump theory of the race is there's a a, a – Latent white wave that will carry him to the White House, uh, and I, I, I think it's misplaced. And I, I I will back off a little bit. I, I will I will walk back my statements a little bit about where you do it. Yes, it, it would be fantastic if, like Jack Kemp had wanted Republicans to do, as Paul Ryan wanted Republicans to do just four years ago, if they would take their message into Black communities, Hispanic communities, it would be far more powerful. Uh, the presumption is you could get black voters and Hispanic voters to show up. I'm not convinced that that's the case right now. I, I would love to see them do it. I, I think it's a necessary. I, I think it's a necessary thing. I've been I've been arguing for that for almost as long as I've been writing a political column, and uh, it's so far falling on deaf ears. I need a bigger audience, I guess. <laughs>
4: Jim Jim, can I offer up something that brings in uh this media bias and the uh uh the race discussion? Yeah. Um last week last week um we played on the air a clip from CNN and it was the sister of Stillville, um uh the, the guy up in Wisconsin that got shot by the cops. And hey. the clip was of her saying, Don't burn our stuff down. We need our stuff. Don't burn our stuff down. All right. And they played that clip. And so it what it looked like was the sister coming out and saying, Hey everybody, calm down, don't start your riots. But the full clip, had they played the full clip, she goes on to say, Go into the neighborhoods. Go out into the neighborhoods and burn their stuff down. So I this we're gonna be able to talk about race in this and talk about the media because it's, it's obvious that CNN omitted that for a reason. What I want to know, as your regular average moron, why? What? what what's? What is? Were they? Do, are they? Do they fear that if they allow that inflammatory stuff on the air, then it's going to divert from the real conversation that we're trying to have about Black Lives Matter and about law enforcement, or is it something else?
0: I don't know why CNN would, would alter a tape, uh, especially something like that, because at the end of the day, it's somebody's going to play, somebody's going to play the full tape and you're going to be, if you are the producer of that show or you are the news director or whomever, it's going to be, it's going to be found out. And, uh, so i don't i don't get that i mean that that has to be a judgment call uh of the producer of the particular show that was on because that's the person who makes the decisions on you know who makes what clip you know last for from whatever period of time i can't imagine that you would not think that that second part to the to the soundbite would would be an important thing to uh not to play and and even if it's incendiary in any way, shape, or form, it's still the story and and you know giving part of a story is not telling the story
2: conservatives would say that is the default position of of people who are editing these tapes. I mean remember what happened with the with the trayvon uh trayvon martin um right trayvon. Um, yeah, yeah, with with that with, with, with that 911 tape, I mean NBC hacked it up to to make to, to cast the shooter in the worst possible light, uh, and and that's and and it's that's just one example. There are others I am certain that are out there that slip my mind right now, but that is – it is widely believed among conservatives who watch the media, and it's why Bill is such yeah it, it it's why it's why Brent Bozell is such a such a hero in conservative circles because he he calls this stuff out all the time. It's it we we think it's the default position. Edit it in the way that it makes the left and minorities look good and and the right and conservatives look and republicans look bad.
0: Well, let me ask you guys this. In a recent uh poll by the Pew Foundation, it was said that 70% of the people over the age of 25 receive the vast majority of their news on Facebook. Okay. Now, you have to, of course, subscribe to some news service to get it to you know show up on your on your Facebook uh, you know stream. But we now have with Breitbart with The Daily Caller, with a number of other conservative um, news sites. And then, of course, on the left, we have The Daily Cause. We have, um, I suppose you could say, The Huffington Post to some extent. The more progressive sides. So you've got them on both sides. You're now kind of tailoring the news to what fits your narrative. And so I think that sometimes some of the mainstream people who are reporting it correctly are being batted about either by the left or the right because it doesn't fit their narrative.
3: That is so true in this campaign. It was so interesting at the beginning of the campaign. Donald Trump all the time would say, I'm ahead in all the polls. And all the Trumpies I know love the polls. And now when they're – it was amazing. He would always say, I'm ahead everywhere. And now that the polls are giving him bad news, they are looking at websites which make ludicrous claims that somehow the polls are skewed. I mean, Breitbart does this. Oh, we took our own poll. They're the only poll in the world that can show some of the nonsense that they show. So people live in an echo chamber, people who are really politically passionate. A lot of them tend to live in an echo chamber, live in an alternate universe. And these ideological websites satisfy their needs. They get their news from Rush Limbaugh. But at least Limbaugh will at times bring in reality. For example, when he said that uh, Trump was going to lose a war with the media, he was giving him very good advice. But I've seen Sean Hannity at night. I refuse to watch him anymore. Because he, comes, because he comes up with such nonsense. In the campaign of 2012, when it was clear that the polls were showing that Romney was in trouble, he would somehow distort the polling of it to make it look like Romney was ahead. Nowadays, people look for news that makes him feel comfortable, and that's not good.
1: Well, that's exactly right, and you know, I think there is, um, shall we say, uh, shape shifting on both sides. Uh, there is so called left wing media does it right wing media does it um, but it's funny um in you you alluded earlier to young people and getting their news from facebook um, that's that's a terrifying thought when you see some of the gibberish that goes on there and gets passed around as actual fact that People are soaking that in and going, you know, on both sides of the fence. You know, I've seen as many crazy things um, uh, in favor of Hillary Clinton as I have Donald Trump, and you just want to shake your head and go, no, people, that's not the way it is. But but people want to live in an echo chamber today. They only want to hear news that they agree with. So if you present them with a set of facts that contradicts their narrative – then you must be part of the liberal media conspiracy or the conservative media conspiracy to wreck their candidate. I don't know how you get around that with so many media options today. Because, you know, you can tailor your news to fit exactly what you want, and that's not healthy. That is you know, not question. healthy. Sometimes you have to hear the way it really is.
0: I have a question here on the Politically Incorrect podcast. And- I have a wonderful group of people to talk to about it, of course, that being Joe Henderson, who you just heard speak, Tom Jackson, Alan Steinberger, and our guest Chris Fisher from our flagship radio station AM820 in the Tampa Bay area, the host of Your Wake Up Call with Blake Bass and um, Mr. Kurt Schreiner every morning from, eight until nine, from sorry, 6 until 9. Uh, Check them out. On tune in and check them out if you're in the Bay Area, guys. With regard to newspapers, okay. When I got into this business, and the Tribune was around in Tampa and St. Pete Times, and both of them had uh, afternoon newspapers. There was the Clearwater newspaper at the time. Uh, there was very little editorializing on anywhere else but the front, uh, you know, the, the editorial page, everything else was pretty much straight up news. There was a paradigm shift in the late 80s, early 90s where people got a little more conservative, a little more liberal depending upon the newspaper. And now, you know, what you and I may have thought may have ended up on the editorial page in an op ed type situation is now commonplace showing up on the front page is how did we change as a journalistic group, or were we changed by by the way that people consume their news bottom line yeah unfortunately
1: that's true
2: well my 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 theory of this is that. Newspapers a long a long time ago figured out that most people got the the headline and the lead of a story on the eleven o'clock news the night before, and the and, and as they were headed out to work the next morning, and so I I, I think that more and more newspapers went toward an, a, a theme that they would give you depth, that they would give you the the very briefest part of the news at the top of the story. But the stories would, would – even that appeared on the front page were no longer about, about what happened so much as why you should be interested in what happened. And they would almost – we would weave narrative, and we would weave a certain amount of analysis without marking stories as having analysis in them. Uh, and, and I think that that – you can't do that without beginning to editorialize, and you might even do it unconsciously. Uh, I I think when I was Joe, when you and I were writing uh, sports game stories, um, I, I know that that's not as serious as 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 zoning issues or or whether you should incorporate more of, uh, of a county into the city. But the way we would write game stories would would involve analysis and select uh, selectivity among the facts, and I think that's just. What has come to be, and the the idea that that leads to editorializing on the front page and on the metro page is for those newspapers that survive, is just part of it anymore. And an an, an informed consumer will figure that out.
1: Yeah, I think I, there's I, two I other factors I agree involved. with Tom on that. Um, because here's here's the thing: the game stories and sports that you alluded to, they were not reports as much as they were game reviews. You know, kind of like yeah. you were going to the theater and you were, except maybe you were reviewing a football game instead. And then as both Tom and I migrated to the news pages, what what we found and what our employers found was that readers wanted a face of, uh, that they could engage with, that had a point of view that they either agreed with or didn't agree with, but they... Uh, Sitting there at the breakfast table, or wherever the, wherever they were consuming that news, they wanted to essentially uh, have an argument with the with the columnist, and so I think that that became a big part of of how newspapers tried to survive by providing uh, hopefully uh, a point of view, but an informed point of view that you could. Agree with, disagree with, but that you really wanted to read every day?
3: I think what changed things was the coverage of the Watergate scandal. You always had some uh, very opinionated journalists on the editorial page. Uh, In the uh, 30s, you had Westbrook uh, Pegler, who was the scourge of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And even in the early 60s, uh, John F. Kennedy canceled his subscription to the New York Herald Tribune. But with the Watergate scandal, Uh, You had Woodward and Bernstein. They weren't showing so much ideology, but they were really – and they did a tremendous job. They deserved all praise. But in going after Nixon, to a lot of people, it seemed as if they were editorializing about how supposedly evil Richard Nixon was. There's a little bit more of a balanced view of Richard Nixon today, uh, the good and the bad. Uh, But in doing so, a lot of newspapers in their front pages – started showing an ideology uh, that was reflective in the Watergate coverage. Now you have an opposite trend happening with print media. Uh, I predicted about five years ago that within about 15 years, newspapers would be a thing of the past in this country. You'd have about seven newspapers surviving. They would have local inserts, and everything would be online. Uh, That trend is accelerating right now, and newspapers – cannot afford to pay journalists what they're worth because they're going online and they haven't yet perfected the art of advertising. So journalism, you you have newspapers going online. That accelerates a tendency towards ideology, particularly because they're competing with ideological
0: websites. Chris, I think the, the answer to your question, which is not going to be a good one, <laughs> at least for me, um, is that Right now, because you have so many different uh, ways to consume your content, that it meets your prescribed view, that when you find something that doesn't meet your prescribed view, you perceive it to be wrong. Whether it is or isn't, is, um, you know, there, everybody... Uh, has their own view of it, but facts are facts, and uh, and sometimes they get lost in, in, in the shuffle, as the old saying goes, never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Uh, so I don't know that we're ever we meaning speaking for the media, which of course the media just allows me to speak for them all the time. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm just simply saying that Speaking as someone in the media and has been around the media for a long time, I do believe that there, because there's so many voices out there now, it's hard to find the truth. And when you do find it, uh, if it doesn't fit with your narrative, then you're not going to pay attention to it, even if it slaps you in the face.
4: I think you're
1: right. And I think it's going to get worse.
0: But it's
4: going to get better. But it's going to get better. It is going to get worse. It's only because of the times we live in, technology advancing so fast. But this will, you know, within a generation, I, I think it'll, it'll you know, uh, calm down a little bit and the kids behind us will figure it out and everything's going to be just fine.
1: kids behind us will be watching whatever the next uh, generation of TMZ is. They're not going to be paying attention to the stuff that uh, impacts them uh, in ways that Right now, they're, uh, they they may not quite understand. And I mean, by that, okay, I mean there's, politics.
3: There's one thing that is suffering right now, and that is because of the unhealthy financial condition of newspapers. They have a hard time financing investigative journalism. Uh, the Times can still, New York Times still can afford a good investigative journalism. They did an excellent job in the Paul Manafort case. But that's because the editorial board there will meet. They'll decide to establish a budget. But with other newspapers uh, failing and the intensive work an investigative journalist must do, they find it uh, hard to uh, pay investigative journalists what they're worth.
0: Yeah, I think that that's why we see so many different uh, variations on a theme of the same of the same uh, story, and that's how we can get sometimes misinformation that turns out to be, you know, people take it as gospel truth, but um, you know, it's a, it's an industry, Chris, that we look at and that we've been in in and, and for a number of years, and it changes, but I like your optimistic thought about it, and I think and hope that, uh, that you're right, because I think that there is uh, a, a thirst. I am a
4: very optimistic but, person. You have to know this about me. When I think of the future of America, when I yeah. think of the future of the human race, I think in terms of millions of years. Not whether or not we're going to make it through this next crisis or whether or not we're going to have a water shortage in 50 years or 500 years. These things are going to happen. Even if we take a hit and we get back down to a billion people on the planet, humanity will still uh, rise from the ashes, will be better every single time, and eventually we'll get it right.
0: Chris, does that mean that there's going to be a police academy in 175?
4: You better believe it. Okay. And it'll finally (laughs) win the Oscar.
0: There you go. <laughs> It'll <laughs> finally get the justification it so warmly deserves. <laughs> so, on that note, uh, I think it's time for last call, gang, on the Politically Incorrect podcast. Um, I'll tell you what, since Chris has been our guest, Chris will lead it with you and give you last call. Your thoughts on on what we chatted about today?
4: Well... Um, As I have now ventured into the news talk radio realm after 20 years on the FM side,
0: Mm
4: -hmm. um, as Rush Limbaugh would say, the pot smoking side of the radio, um, it has been very, very fascinating to feel the phone calls and the opinions from the listeners trying to have a balanced conversation and just – I feel like right now I'm ramming my head up against the wall. And I'm in a learning uh, process. I, I appreciate that you guys bring me into um, uh, these forums because I learn a lot just sitting here listening to you guys. You've been doing it a long time. And uh, I hope I get a chance to stick around at this radio station, figure it out, and put on a radio show that's substantive, that makes you think, that's compelling, that's provocative, but doesn't have to play, doesn't have to pick a side and then just play to that side's fears and angers you know, all show long. So wish me luck on that. And thank you for having me.
0: Chris, we uh, we wish you luck and you're stuck with us. So we're going to going to keep you here as long as you, you want to come. Alan, uh, you're good. up.
3: Well, it's uh, going to be a very interesting uh, next few months. But as I wrote today, elections now start earlier. And I think Hillary Clinton has successfully uh, defined Donald Trump through their at, or advertising in the battleground states as an unfit commander-in-chief uh, who, quite frankly, his values are out of sync with the rest of America. It's going to be hard for him to reverse that.
0: Tom, Mr. Jackson.
2: I am sitting on pins and needles waiting to see what Donald Trump does with his with his emerging uh, immigration position uh, which Kellyanne Conway says is TB, uh, to be determined. Uh, we don't know that the the roving squads of people that will be federalized to uh, to to round up illegal immigrants in the country and and humanely send them packing is still on the table. It seems like what's emerging is beginning to sound a little bit like. The bifurcated Gang of Eight plan that Marco Rubio was touting back last year, and and the more the more the, the, the more Donald Trump has talked in these past couple of weeks, the more he's beginning to sound like a an an orange seventy year old Marco Rubio, and and that that sort of warms my heart. I don't still don't see him winning the race, but I, I like to see him coming around to. Uh, Many of my points of view.
0: Joe, you're batting cleanup. Well, there's uh, a
1: great story that is just out today that we have not, uh, we didn't have time to get around to today. But it's going to be kind of interesting to follow. It is uh, another former Fox News host, Andrea Tanteros, has filed a lawsuit against her former employer at Fox News, claiming she was sexually harassed by Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly. And in her lawsuit, which was uh, first reported by the New York Times, she uh, refers to Fox News as masquerading as a defender of traditional family values, but behind the scenes operates like a sex-fueled Playboy Mansion-like cult, steeped in intimidation, indecency, and misogyny. I don't know. Uh, what say you, Sean Hannity? I want. I want
0: to know. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the movie. What are you kidding me? Twentieth Century Fox has got to make a movie out of this.
1: Oh, it's it. Uh, you know, it. Uh, I just offer that up without comment because I don't think comment is required for no. this.
0: No, and 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 I I apologize for being flip about that because. Sexual harassment is not something that is a
1: no. It is not about. And, but, but but we know you. You know we know. It's just so it's, weird.
0: Yeah, it, it is definitely but, that. And uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, here on the politically incorrect podcast, I think it's time that we go social media side. So we'll go. We'll go in reverse order. Joe, go ahead. You can give us your social media.
1: Okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, be uh, at the initial J Henderson Tampa, or if you're so inclined, I'm on Facebook under Joe Henderson commentary columns and such.
0: Alan
3: on Facebook, I'm on as Alan Joel Steinberg, the full name my parents gave me, and on Twitter, I'm on at at A Steinberg six one three.
0: Tom Jackson.
2: Facebook would be Tom Jackson, journalist entrepreneur. And uh Twitter is at Thomas Jacks, Tampa. T
4: H O M A S J A X Tampa.
0: Chris Fisher.
4: On Twitter you can find me at Fisher the Man. Fisher the Man, no C in Fisher. And on Facebook, FisherTheMan One Two Three.
0: And go ahead, Chris, and give us um a little promo for your show there as well. We want to make sure oh, And you, you can to
4: listen you, to it. You can listen to me on the radio Monday through Friday, uh, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time um, online at NewstalkFlorida.com and in the Tampa Bay area, a.m. 820.
0: And also on the TuneIn app, you can listen to it as well. I'm Jim Williams, your host for the Politically Incorrect podcast. You can get me at... NTFLA underscore politics. That's NTFLA underscore politics. Or you can uh, check me out on our Facebook page at Talk Florida uh, with the Facebook situation. We hope that you've enjoyed being with us today. And that means, of course, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, Alan Steinberg, and Chris Fisher on the Politically Incorrect podcast, which you've been listening to on either News Talk Florida or Blog Talk Radio. Please enjoy the podcast. And uh, also, we'll be checking you out next time. Thanks very much for joining us this time. I'm Jim Williams. Goodbye.